This episode of the Door County Pulse podcast is brought to you in part by the Door County Community Foundation, inspiring people to give back, to sustain, and advance the community that we love. To learn more, visit givedoorcounty.org. Hello, and welcome to the Door County Pulse podcast. I'm Miles Danhausen Jr., and today I'm joined with Deb Fitzgerald, our editor here at the Peninsula Pulse. Deb, thanks for hopping in. Yes. Hi, Miles. I, I know you are just bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. You have a very, very easy morning yeah, so far. Yeah, that was fun. Six hours in this room, actually. <laughs> it was getting a little claustrophobic, but I, I did get through it. Yes. What were you doing this morning? Okay, Tell our listeners. So it's the Wisconsin Newspaper Association Civics Competition. So these high schoolers from around the state all sign up for the civics competition. And so I was volunteered to be a judge for this by Dave. <laughs> and and he volunteered me while I was on vacation. So You can't just blame Dave. I yeah, also I totally passed the buck and did not raise my hand for this one. <laughs> all right. So this is the first time they've done it digitally. And normally it's about a three to four hour commitment, I guess. And... This turned into six hours because, you know, of course, we're trying to do it, you know, coordinate everybody from across the state. They did a really fantastic job given the number, the shared number of people that yeah. were on the call and asking questions. So I'm a little bit hoarse, too, because I was the question. <laughs> I, I was asking questions for six hours. So it was uh, I learned a lot, learned a lot about civics. It's a fantastic program. I mean, there were so many questions I thought. Huh, I really have to read this. I was answer. Say, would you have passed this quiz? Or? I don't I don't want to say. <laughs> I think that it would have been really, really difficult, especially for like the third and fourth rounds. They were hard questions. Well, give us an example of like some of the basic questions. Okay. Some of the basic questions were about mostly about government okay. and how government operates. So you have like, you know, how many how long do you have to notice for an open meeting by the open meetings law? How long does a government have to, to notice? It has questions about like kind of weird questions about, you know, the Kringle is the Wisconsin Danish. And <laughs> so where did it first originate? That kind of thing. Where What's, did it first originate? Uh, Racine, the city okay. of Racine. I mean, um, that would have been my only guess, but <laughs> based on no knowledge, just because that's where we'd pick up Kringle on our way to Chicago. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there were, you know, there were questions um, about amendments. There were questions about what home rule is, what a quorum is. You asked a question in the office yesterday, I think, who is the highest ranking Government official county in a county officer. County right. officer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Highest ranking county government official. Right. And the answer is actually the sheriff, correct? Yes, That's it what, is. And yeah. I didn't know that right. to our listeners. Right. I, I sorry, sorry to admit that as a That's reporter <laughs> trying to help you guys understand stuff. I didn't know that. Yeah, there were many. I would guess like the county board chair. I would but, have said probably something like the district attorney. Hmm. Which is which is totally wrong because that's a state position. So see, yeah. I would have been caught in that trap of. Yeah. But there were. I would have just been stupid. But thank you. <laughs> there were a number of, you know, the the questions progressively got harder. There were four matches. So as you move to the fourth spate of questions, they were they were really difficult. You know, it was kind of interesting. One that really no one got any points on was the people that are on U.S. money. They could oh. not come up with four people that were on U.S. currency. And oh, yeah, so that was kind of interesting. Like, do pennies count? Sure. Pennies do count. 
Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying, like. <laughs> <laughs> Man, so, I, I almost don't want to hazard a guess here because right. I, I, if I don't guess, then I can say like, yeah, I knew. I just didn't want to throw that because right, it's right. obvious. Like, <laughs> so what? It's like Lincoln. Did they ever pass the Harriet Tubman thing, or did that get? You know, shot that's down? really funny because so many people said Tubman, but no, that is yeah. not one. No, it is. Is not. it Andrew Jackson? Andrew Jackson, one? which is he should not be. Benjamin um, Franklin. Oh yeah, obviously. Right. Rosa Parks was another one that a lot of people said, and Rosa Parks is not. 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 And so now my mind is completely blank <laughs> after having looked at this question for like five times and thinking that it's interesting that nobody knows it. This is why nobody knows it. Yeah. Sagaway is one, Chief Sagaway. Really? Yes. I'm, I'm a moron sticks here. out to me. So there were just lots of some archaic questions, some, uh, but, but pure Wisconsin. And then a lot of difficult, you know, questions about how government operates, which is the whole thing, right? I mean, that's what we want to do is try and instill in kids, high school students especially, like the knowledge of how to participate in our democracy because they are our future. And if they don't know how to do it, then our democracy is in trouble. So, Well, hopefully... My high school civics teacher, Ron Lang, is not listening to this podcast because he'd probably be shooting an arrow at me right now. And one of my buddies, Zach Lozoff, if you're listening, pull over to the side of the road because you might have already thrown your phone into your windshield and be getting in an accident. So just calm down here. I know you're angry at my stupidity. Okay, so it's that bad, huh? Yeah. So so the thing is, like, we have to Like, Zach would have gotten, those guys would have gotten all those correct. Really? Yeah. On a regular, continuing basis? Zach, yes. Huh, interesting. Yeah. Shout All out right. to Zach Lozoff, very smart individual. Okay. Um, a lot of useless well, knowledge Well, I might in that just head. have to email these questions to him. We should have him join the podcast and you oh, can quiz him. That would this be would fantastic. be a great idea. No studying, Zach. We're going to do this. But we're going to have to get you in here before we re- release the podcast. And we already gave him some clues, but really I only gave a handful. But one of the things we, we talked about is maybe splicing these questions into the pulse, the, mm-hmm. this kind of thing, or, or doing a quiz, because I think it'd be really valuable. Like I probably would have been better at this 25 years ago than I am mm. now, which is the sad part because now I'm an adult actually trying to partake in our government a lot more. So yeah. now you're supposed to be practicing this stuff Yeah, before and you just learn it. <laughs> now I've forgotten it all. Yes. Anyway, we didn't do this podcast to talk about this, but this we is didn't. actually pretty fascinating and thank you for doing it. It's a, it's a really cool program. It is. And um, yeah, maybe I want to we'll- get, there were no districts from Door County. We have five school districts and no students were represented in this. And there were students from across the state. So we do need to try and get some students interested in this in Door County. Well, maybe one of the things I should double back with some of the folks from the youth and government story that I did Mm. a few weeks ago, Mm -hmm. and maybe they can get this going for next year. Surely they would be interested. Yeah. This episode of the Door County Pulse podcast is brought to you in part by Door County Medical Center. Are you looking for a job in Door County with excellent benefits, culture, and potential for advancement through tuition reimbursement programs? Door County Medical Center is hiring. For more than 75 years, Door County Medical Center has been the leader in health and wellness for Door and Kewanee counties. Their integrated medical center provides a wide range of specialties, including primary care, behavioral health, general surgery, the Women and Children's Center, the Door Orthopedic Center, the Door County Cancer Center, and more. To join the team, apply today at dcmedical.org careers. The podcast is also brought to you by Destination Door County. Join Destination Door County in celebrating National Travel and Tourism Week from May 1st to the 7th. 
Tourism plays a critical role in financially supporting our residents and is the reason so many unique experiences, attractions, and things like restaurants, parks, and entertainment venues are available in Door County today for all to enjoy. Tax dollars generated from visitors also financially support municipal governments throughout the county and have helped pay for many park upgrades and public green space expansions. Join Destination Door County in recognizing the importance of travel in our community during National Travel and Tourism Week. We're here today to talk a little bit about our annual sustainability issue, which I think we've been doing now at the Peninsula Pulse for 15, maybe 16 years. Okay. It's been a while. This is um, only my second one. <laughs> so that's what I wanted to ask you about because it is only my second one. So can you talk a little bit about like how it came to be and some of the topics that you've covered in the past? Sure. The sustainability issue actually started because I was taking... I was actually writing for The Pulse and commuting back and forth to UWGB for college. And I was taking a sustainability class from Professor Larry Smith, who actually lives in Southern Door County. And it was was actually an on, most of the class was taken online through like group discussions and things. And he had these great books that he was signed to us. And it just sent me, I had always had like this interest in it, but it just took that interest to a new level. And I kind of wouldn't shut up about it. And... Then. I can't imagine you like that, Miles. <laughs> yeah. Actually uh, glomming on to a topic and just not being able to let go of it. I just can't imagine that. Annoying people to death. <laughs> and so I'm talking to Dave about it, and he had kind of had some of these ideas already as well about doing some sort of different issue about some of these new topics and, and energy in Door County and just like our community and what was coming next for us and what what was a better way to grow our community in, in a responsible way that's good for everybody. So we kind of merged those ideas into doing a sustainability issue in the spring versus doing, you know, just your typical business edition or a progress edition or th- something like that. We wanted to make it topical and not just maybe business oriented. Makes so sense. we committed to doing this much larger thing and that it started, like if you go back to like 2007, I think is about the time we did that. At that time, it was still novel to reuse your water bottle or Mm. reusable shopping bags. So it was real low-hanging fruit that we were trying to highlight of different ways you could just be a better, greener citizen. And then that grew into, okay, we've done that. Now let's, let's present some ideas. So one of our issues was, could Door County kind of be taken off the grid as a whole? Like not an individual house, but like what would it take to create our own energy through wind, solar, that sort of thing. And over time, we just tried to keep the, the, the way it best worked was trying to find a centering topic and really dive into that, whether it be water quality or the health of our fisheries or our karst topography and what that means to our community and what it means to how we should think about development and our water use and what we put in the ground and what we put in the air. So a lot of different topics like that. So that's kind of how it evolved. It just came out of me taking a class and Dave having some ideas, which is... Okay, uh, pretty much how everything evolves here. <laughs> yeah. um, well, maybe not the class part now. You've evolved yeah. beyond that. But, I mean, it does. It does kind of happen that way, like organically. You know, like maybe this, maybe we should do this. But when I say organically, it, it, it arises from things that are happening around yeah. us and in the community. And you if know? you go back like 15 years ago, that was about... That was, you know, organic food was still thought of as, all right, this is the fad thing. This is something for people who have too much money to spend. And it's never going to be a key part of our food system. 
you're never going to see organic milk or organic. No one's going to pay for organic eggs when you can get 99 cent eggs, right? Mm -hmm. That was the thinking at the time. And Kathy Navis starting her store in Egg Harbor and some of the programs she was doing, people thought of that as like, okay, that that's a fun hobby for a little while. And lo and behold, 20 years later, that place is still thriving. And now we have multiple healthy food stores here and Whole Foods just blew up. But all those things were pretty fringe 15 years ago. Sure. And thankfully, they did blow up. Yeah. I mean, and I noticed the difference when I returned after an absence of 12 years. I completely noticed that. Kathy, I think, had opened her her store prior to that, but I'm mm -hmm. not sure that Healthy Way was open at that time. And if it, if it was open at that time, it was very small yeah. back in their very early days back on the west side in Sturgeon Bay. Right. Now it's awesome. I mean, nice big grocery store. Yeah. So <laughs> there are lots of, you know, there are lots of amenities like that around there. I can only speak to last year we did it on trees, which is yeah. kind of, it was kind of fun, you know, to really delve into all aspects of trees and how they communicate and how they, you know, breathe for us and how they're the earth's lungs. <laughs> and then this year we did it on transportation and this basically involved all of us sitting down in the middle of the room and taking a look at some of the metrics that some organizations use to define how communities are healthy. Yeah, so, you came with a very big topic idea. <laughs> I did. I did. Right, right. It was supposed to be like those seven different things. And so it, it, it was a metric on um, this is how you determine if a community is a healthy community. And we went through each one of those seven things and we're like, whoa. Almost all of these metrics are being hit in Dora County in most communities that we can think of. And one of them that, that didn't really hit the mark was infrastructure. And we took a look at transportation specifically mm -hmm. on that infrastructure. Because if you look at transportation, it is part of the infrastructure because it's, it's so integral. Mm -hmm. can, you know, I can't imagine getting up in the morning and, and not being able to go anywhere because I can't drive, you know, and right. because I don't have public transportation and I can't walk to the train. I mean, so we started looking at that. Yeah. And I think of that from the flip side, what you just said about like, well, if I couldn't drive, what would I do? Mm -hmm. And having just come from living in Chicago for, for many years, my car would break down because I always drove pretty crappy cars and just take the bus, take the train. You had all these other options or many. just walk where up here, those options you could have a, you could take your bike. That's about it. But you also have to be comfortable biking on a highway. Exactly. And when I, when I lived in Chicago, I did the reverse commute. So I worked out in the suburbs and I lived right downtown. <laughs> so I would basically, you know, do the, because I didn't want to pay for parking. Like nobody wants to pay $800 a month back then for parking. <laughs> um, so I would do the circle, the blocks, looking for yeah. the parallel parking. And I would park my car on the weekend and never move it. Mm -hmm. So it would only be for the commute that I would actually use it. So I walked everywhere to the grocery store. I mean, and, or would take public transportation. So I, yes, I, I put far fewer miles on my car each year yeah. that I lived in Chicago than yeah. I do in a single year here. Right. But um, we don't have those options as we you were pointing out. Well, so you brought this topic to the table and it was pretty interesting to think about it from a sustainability lens, because like you said, that, that word infrastructure that I always give Dave crap for using <laughs> so often, uh, and he's going to listen to this and then come in the next day and, and say, you said infrastructure. <laughs> yes, he will do that. Listeners, he will do exactly that. But we once looked at housing this way. We looked at housing as a, a sustainability topic, because as we're learning now, our community is not sustainable if people don't have housing. And we're trying to look at s transportation 
this very same way is what, and, and it kind of ties to housing. You know, mm-hmm. if we have better transportation options, if we have better options for people to get around without a vehicle, it makes them potentially have one less vehicle and maybe be able to afford housing or that housing can be in a different place that's more affordable because there's transportation. So that's one aspect that plays in the sustainability. It's also comes down to, you know, carbon, carbon yes. footprint. Right. Carbon emissions. I mean, you don't, you would think that the, the personal vehicles are 50% of all of the carbon emissions through the transportation sector. And the transportation sector is 27% of all of the greenhouse gases that are put into the atmosphere. And the greenhouse gases are the ones that are warming up our, you know, our planet and creating climate change. But so it, the less that we can use personal vehicles, the more that we can use public transportation, then we're also achieving that benefit of, you know, helping the community air, the local air, as well as the the planet ultimately. So that's how we kind of were taking a look at this. And then when I started talking, I my particular one was public transportation. Mm-hmm. You did a great couple of pieces on complete streets that I want to talk about. And then Sarah contributed with how can we use the hiking trails that we have around the county to make better connections between communities mm-hmm. so that we can actually do more active recreation, active transportation, which is rolling, which is walking, which is biking, all of those things. But public transportation in Door County, I really didn't know very much about. And so once I started looking at that, it was fascinating to me to see exactly how much is already here, what we still need to achieve. And in Sister Bay, what they have started with a shuttle bus that is right now for visitors, but transporting thousands of them. Mm -hmm. And the future of that with a new bus that they'll be getting and hopefully infecting, in a good way, (laughs) other communities to do more of that as well. Because the more that we can get people off the streets, the better the streets will be in terms of overcrowding, congestion, parking issues won't be as troublesome if they're troublesome in particular areas. So there are many, many benefits to having more public transportation. But the number one thing that I didn't even think of because I can drive is that we have a large population of people up here and it's going to increasingly get larger because of the median age being older Mm -hmm. who don't drive. Yeah, you mentioned this, and that really surprised me. Yes. I mean, Becky Kerwin, who is a planner with uh, the County of Door, she came up with numbers for estimated numbers because the state of uh, Wisconsin actually collects this data on non-drivers. And so she extrapolated and did, you know, uh, crunched a lot of the numbers and came up with a number of between almost 4,000 to 6,000 people who don't drive in Door County. Now, it's not a high number, and it's actually lower than the number of non-drivers around the state in terms of uh, percentage. But still, four to 6,000 people. You're getting up around the 15 to 20% range. That's a lot of people. Yeah. And, I mean, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be increasing. Uh, Pam Bush, who is the director of transportation for the county of Dora, so she oversees the public transit system. You know, she gets phone calls. They're increasing their ridership all the time with people who are calling up and saying, okay, it's time. I can't drive anymore. So Mm. what are my options? Wow. And fortunately, there are some options. You know, there's 
Dortran, which is a partner to the County of Door and their transportation system. Mm-hmm. There are some options. And how does that, how does, for the listeners who don't know, like how yeah. does something like Dortran and Door County Connect work? So Door County Connect is part of the County of Door's public transit system. So Dora County Connect is the new name for the ARDC, the Aging and Disability Resource Center bus, the senior center bus. So it pretty much uh, will take people within a radius of the ADRC. And then there is uh, Door to Door, which is the transit, the public transit buses that will pick you up at your house and take you wherever you want to go. So there is no fixed route. So if you go, if you're in Chicago, you're waiting for a bus, that's a fixed route system. There is no fixed route system outside of Sister Bay and their shuttle yeah. bus that they're operating. Which is a seasonal weekend dependent Which is a thing. seasonal, right. So the public transit, the door-to-door rides, they'll they'll pick you up anywhere. From, so those are by request. Those are by request. And you do need to call in advance if you're outside of the, the city zones. They like 24 hours notice. I mean, so it's yeah. not... So it's, not like a taxi cab, no, not like an Uber type of situation. No. And there are some, there are Uber drivers... There are occasionally Lyft drivers. There is that service up here, but it's kind of few and far between. And if you logged into the system on a given day, you might see one, maybe two, and it might be a 20-minute wait, which is better than nothing. Sure. I mean, and I've, I've used them up here. Yeah. But it's not, for those who are just unfamiliar, it's not like it. And people are shocked at Caesars when they move up here. They are used to getting Ubers, especially this influx that happened over the last couple of years with COVID. People who lived in the burbs, lived in the city, they're used to seeing at least some service like that. Mm-hmm. So then coming up here and going, wait, there's not a single Uber driver available right now? Right, nope. right. <laughs> and we did talk to one Uber driver who is a year-round. Right now there's about two of them operating. So that that would be interesting for people to take a look at too, just like how frequent you actually can get that service up yeah. here. And he's operating in Northern Door. So there is that whole part on public transportation and this week's sustainability issue. But I wanted to talk with you too about the complete street notion because that's a big portion of this and being able to, you know, release our reliance on cars so much and maybe use alternative forms of, you know, uh, mobility whenever we can. Yeah. And I, unfortunately, the, the answer on the complete streets is, well, we kind of dropped the ball on it. We just kind of forgot as a state and as especially local communities in that. So in 2009, they passed a law for mandating that everybody at least consider a complete street. So the complete streets law basically means that if you are redoing a road, you have to consider all users of that road in your planning for it. It doesn't mandate that you have to go, this road will have curb and gutter and sidewalk and bike lanes and transit lanes. It just says you have to consider that in your planning and ideally incorporate some aspect of that because roads were not built for cars. In fact, the auto industry sort of manipulated them to becoming a primarily motor vehicle route. Wait, did you just say roads were not made for cars? Correct. What do you mean? (laughs) That's all that's on them. Roads were always made for, I mean, they were originally horse and buggy or pedestrian, or they were just sidewalks. And even crosswalks were a new thing. Crosswalks were put in to make it easier for cars to drive on roads. Before that, cars just had to stop when people crossed wherever they wanted to do. So it's kind of flipped over time 
to become this is the spot for cars to go as fast as possible and roads are designed, safety measures are designed around the fastest way for cars to get from point A to point B versus the safest way for pedestrians to get around a city. So that's why people tend to, over time, it's one factor in why more and more people drive more and more miles. It's good for the auto industry, right? Mm-hmm. They actually have lobbied for that. Okay. So when I say that, that you're going back 70, 80 years. There's great podcasts. I would... Strong Towns is a great podcast to get a lot of more information on the history of the ways that car manufacturers and automakers have manipulated our design of our cities and, and communities. But, and Dave Amos, who has been on this podcast, has some great videos about that same thing as well in his YouTube channel called City Beautiful. Mm-hmm. But going back to Complete Streets, so the state passed that law in 2009. In 2015, Governor Scott Walker's administration repeals that law because they said it was too regulatorily burdensome. Even though it was just a suggestion? It doesn't sound like it was mandatory at all. Yeah, and it basically was, it made them jump to too many hoops, slowed down the process too much, cost too much money to do that. Now, if you talk to an engineer, they're going to tell you, yeah, we try to consider that anyway. And if you talk to municipalities, they say, oh, yeah, we think about that. But, you know, the town of Liberty Grove just went through this whole process of repaving Woodcrest Road and doing their planning for that and said nobody brought bikes to our attention. Nobody told us that that should have been a bike lane. So they said we never planned on that. It's on the official bike route for the county. The county adopted a comprehensive bike plan in 2014. Mm. Very little of that has been incorporated, even though a lot of the stretches that are identified as potential widened bike lanes or off-road bike lanes in that route have been redone in that time, say County F, County A, Double Z, a lot of different stretches of the county. Those roads have been redone and were not made. Maybe they widened the roads like a foot or two, but that doesn't really accommodate a bike lane. So so what is a complete street then? Like what should, is it just a bike lane? It doesn't just mean a bike lane. So it basically means could, are all users that need to use that road, are, are they accommodated in some way? And A lot of it is made for urban streets, but it applies to small towns. It applies to our streets that are, you know, like our our highway right in front of us in Bailey's Harbor or Egg Harbor. And speaking of Egg Harbor, Egg Harbor, the village of Egg Harbor is the closest that I've seen a community come to this in their planning, where they really did try to incorporate bike lanes, pedestrians, improving crosswalks, slowing down traffic. Those were all big goals of that of their community because they were trying to make a very walkable downtown. Their original plan for the highway through Egg Harbor was to put bike lanes on both sides of the street. The advocates for parking, <laughs> as I like to say it, won the day there, and those bike lanes were removed in favor of more parking spaces. Mm. And so those bike lanes, instead the bikes are routed around the village, which is weird because you generally want people to go to points of interest. <laughs> right, absolutely. Um, so... In any case, they they actually did incorporate some of the principles of complete streets in their planning. Other communities have have not done that same level. I know in Sister Bay, same thing happened. They were, the original some original ideas in redoing the downtown were to put bike lanes through downtown and actually remove parking spaces on one side of the street because parking was, believe it or not, not much of an issue in Sister Bay 15 years ago. Now mm-hmm. it is. So that's generally with complete streets. You And you also want to be thinking about people with accessibility issues. Mm-hmm. So that means how are you doing your curb cuts? Now, a lot of that stuff is now at this point mandated by state law. Like you have to have those curb cuts so that, you know, you, you can't just have a, a four inch drop off a curve. You know, somebody 
I know this now pushing a stroller around town. Like if that were the case at every intersection, my kid would have a lot more bumps and bruises. Now you've put somebody in a scooter or wheelchair or situation that's actually becomes very dangerous. So those are some of the things. Did I answer the question clearly enough? Yeah, you did. Yes, yes. So So we're we're looking at, you know, allowing all different kinds of users to be able to use the road, but it sounds to me like when it comes down to actually budgeting for these road projects, that's the first thing that's kicked out. Pedestrians are the easy cut. Yeah. Cars always win in the budgeting process. Yeah. They never narrow the the lanes for vehicles. Mm -hmm. They don't slow down the lanes for vehicles. Because basically by narrowing lanes, you are slowing traffic. Hmm. That's the best way. Speed limits signs do not slow traffic because if you are on a a straightaway with no trees and no people around you and it's a straight road and you don't see traffic, what do you do? You drive as fast as you can go on that. For the most part, most people do. As as fast as you feel safe. Hmm. Even if the speed limit said 25, people go faster. Right. So, but you can slow down traffic by narrowing streets, by putting sidewalks by putting trees especially trees and you know me i I would fight to the death for more trees (laughs) on these stretches but yeah the the pedestrians are always the first cut when somebody says yeah we'll start with a bike lane and then as the dollars add up it goes we cut that right or we'll start with a crosswalk or a sidewalk the sidewalks go Mm -hmm. and you know it's unfortunate because it's the time to do it when you're actually planning the project and if a city at least has something on the books that they're supposed to be looking at that that's why there was this really big national push to get villages and towns and cities to actually adopt these complete street resolutions so that they couldn't say like sister bay well nobody told us that we were supposed to be doing a bike lane you know because then it's written into your policy that you look at that one thing that i thought was kind of a workaround on this, and I think it's a really smart one. In the city of Sturgeon Bay, they have walkable Sturgeon Bay. Now, they're not creating new things. What they're doing is taking the amenities that they already have, and they're turning them into a direction. Like, here's, you can walk 2.1 miles on this one. They have three different routes. And this is only their second year, this coming up now, that they're actually pushing this. But I think that's really smart, you know, because you can actually get from point A to point B by walking this route. And we're going to show you how to do that, you know. So that's using what you have without creating, you know, uh, large infrastructure. Oh, sorry. Large road (laughs) improvement projects with taxpayers money. It's, It's thinking about how to get people around, you know, in a smart way. Yeah, I think it's. Sturgeon Bay is a great example of this, and it, there's so many different parts to this, right? Because Pam Seiler advocating for it, and and then the the wayfinding signage stuff that right. sounds like a very boring thing. Once it was all completed, you see people using that signage and getting around town saying, oh, I'm supposed to walk this. Absolutely. You, know, you do have to invite people. You do have to give them a an easy in to start mm-hmm. doing these things and let them know, oh, I can do it a different way. Mm-hmm. So that bridge-to-bridge walk loop yeah. that they've put in and... Now they have the arts district and that's kind of intertwined in that wayfinding signage and everything. So it it makes it more than just here. You should walk more, but walk and discover. Yeah, right. Exactly. I discovered it through that wayfinding. Uh, oh. The arts district. I was like, what? This is the arts district? Oh. And I like, and you pulled over my around. car and I'm like, right, exactly. And I walked into a bunch of arts places. So I never would. Yes. I mean, that. so that's kind of like using, that's a solution, right? Like mm-hmm. if you can't actually get 
you know, the big improvements, then you make small, you take small steps. And then you know? if you can couple that, so there are, so I, was, I just sounded very negative and critical because of, I am critical of the lack of progress on this stuff. Well, but there are some encouraging signs. So North Ephraim, they are talking about doing a sidewalk and pedestrian multi-use trail on the north end of Ephraim now. And that would connect, like right now, you never see people walking on the street up there. That's true. And there are 167 motel and lodging units plus some vacation rental units in this one mile stretch between the Waterbury Resort and Associated Bank Building. Wow. And in that stretch, you also have several restaurants, you have several attractions, you have the mini golf course, but there's no sidewalk. So all of those hotel users, so let's take a, a July Saturday with 167 units all full and all those vacation rentals full. Let's say there's two people in each one. That's 320 people, probably all one vehicle for every two people. So you're talking about putting 160 vehicles on the road to go anywhere. Mm. None of those people, with rare exceptions, are walking from those hotel units. Well, what if you put a path there so every time they go to the Red Putter, they're not getting in a car to drive half a mile or to go eat and, or to go to the galleries in that area? Better yet, how about they're walking the half a mile the other way into downtown Ephraim? Or maybe you connect that to Sister Bay eventually. Hmm. So now you have, if they do build that off-road pedestrian path, you're taking a lot of vehicles out of the road for a lot of small trips, taking away some of the congestion and inviting people to walk around what is a, a really nice stretch of the village. But if you do that connection, and then maybe years down the road, they connect to the Sister Bay off-road paved path. That's another maybe mile, half mile that you would somehow connect to. And now you've got Sister Bay connected to Ephraim, and then you just have to connect that to downtown Ephraim. Mm -hmm. Town of Gibraltar for years has talked about creating a trail between Fish Creek and Ephraim. And now the state park has actually put that in their plan to have an off-road trail alongside, kind of like running parallel to Highway 42, sort of between the Skyway Drive-In and Gibraltar High School. Now you would add, you'd take bikers and pedestrians off of that stretch of highway and put them on a safe off-road path, which invites more people to use that path. Because mm -hmm. some people might say, well, who walks that anyway? Well, who would want to? And, right. and the few times I've done it, you don't feel very safe biking down that road. If you can do that, there was a man, and I'm forgetting his name right now, but he was on a Ephraim Plan Commission meeting when they were talking about the improvements they made to their downtown a few years ago when they put in curb and gutter and sidewalks. And he said, you know, I just thought we were serving the people who were already walking there. But once we built that, it's amazing the increase in people walking around our town because we gave them a place to walk that wasn't just the edge of the road. So he said, and he used the old phrase, he goes, if you build it, they will come. And that showed it. So if we do that, even though people aren't walking on the road in North from now, if we build that path, he said, I'm positive you're going to see a lot of people using that path to get around. So that's kind of, I was glad to hear somebody say that at one of those meetings because you often hear people say, well, nobody does that now. And it's like, well, yeah, because there's not a place to do that. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, that's another example of, and, and this issue actually has all kinds of things like that. So it shows you, you know, what types of issues and challenges exist, but it also shows you communities that are actually looking at the, the existing stuff that we have and turning that into something as opposed to having to reinvent something entirely. Let's really look at this through the lens of 
how do we get people out walking away from their cars, around connecting with other communities? How do we do that with what we have right now? And it's those are all good examples, and it's all in this week's issue of the sustainability issue of the pulse. <laughs> and and I do have to just add as we were putting this together, which is you know a pretty big undertaking. We were also putting together what a one hundred and sixteen page. Door County Living Magazine, Miles. Yes, yeah. That, <laughs> so, that'll be coming out in a couple of weeks. So that just wrapped on Thursday. I mean, it was quite a week. Yeah, it's been... And, and nobody wants to hear about the uh, the how the sausage is made in the inside <laughs> baseball here. But yeah, you can... We the, If you sense us a little bit of relief in our voices right now, it's because right. there's just like this brain dump that yes, just there came is. out of us all. Yep. One other thing on the sustainability issue I wanted to talk to you about okay. was just... Uh, you spoke to Louise Housen a little bit about the idea of public transit on a larger scale up here, but also about what they are doing in the village of Sister Bay and that effort to create a shuttle and and create success out of that shuttle. What did you find in talking to Louise and, and what is Sister Bay figuring out? Right. So, and, and this is an example of, you know, how a tragedy can actually cause us to, to take a look at what we need to try and find solutions for. And this is not in the sustainability issue, but I mean, she shared with me that, you know, what really inspired her was in 2017 during Fall Fest when there was tragic loss of life, when a vehicle was driven into the bay from the marina. And they knew that they had to figure out if if we're holding all of these wonderful events, we really need to try and give people options when it comes to transportation. Mm -hmm. So I guess something, you know, a trolley was tried at first and that didn't quite work out. But then, you know, Louise and uh, the small group, you're a member of this group, the Mm -hmm. Peninsula Transit Coalition, Mm kind of loosely formed and uh, took an opportunity to buy a used bus from the Health and Human Service. Department mm-hmm. and and just did it, you know. Uh, convinced the village to partner because, of course, you needed to have, you know, the funding in <laughs> order to be able to do this. So the village of Sister Bay actually jumped on board, and they are the ones who pay for everything. And then Louise Housen in the Sister Bay Advancement Association and the Peninsula Transit Coalition, they actually operate it. So they do the hiring, even though it's an employee, the bus driver of the village of Sister Bay. And then they came up with a fixed route for, you know, that hits all of the high points. And every 30 minutes on a seasonal basis, they are running this bus. They have transported thousands of visitors, but they didn't stop there. They got Sophie Parr, who uh, she's a local resident. She uh, did her uh, graduate work in urban planning, but she worked for the Duluth Transit. um, Mm -hmm. And so she did uh, planning for them. And so she put together a study that created routes for all Northern Door communities as well as estimated costs for what it would take to get one of these shuttles because it's working really well in Sister Bay. Well, in 2020, it was shut down, but then in 2021, they had bus mechanical problems. So then Sophie took that study and used it as a basis for a grant that she applied to and and the village and the Sister Bay Advancement Association and the Peninsula Transit uh, Coalition got that grant. And they're going to be able to buy a new bus so they won't have those issues with the bus. But in, in long story short, because it's really a great story, yeah. they pitched it to Louise, you know, 
put together a presentation. The Peninsula Transit Coalition pitched it to all of the other Northern Door communities. And so if they can get, you know, buy-in, then they can pull together a transit a fixed route transit system that could then also be used for, say, J-1 workers or mm-hmm. other employees in Northern Door County. So it's just the beginning, but it's working. And it's it's an example of something that everyone, you want to do something and to be like, all right, now it's in effect. It's like, I built this and now it's open. That doesn't happen that way when you're talking transportation. These are big projects. These are big ideas. So right. when I talk about a trail system, I look a lot at like a place like Traverse City, which it took them 20, 25 years to create, and they're still working on it, but to create this network of off-road paths that connect 27 miles of, of off-road paths amongst a bunch of different communities. And the same thing here when you talk about this bus system. Okay, Sister Bay did this, and it, you can look at it and say, okay, that's just a nice little shuttle for this one town. But if another town does it, mm-hmm. and another town does it, and now you start connecting them, that's like during Fall Fest when Bailey's Harbor runs a bus from Sister Bay to Bailey's Harbor. Those are 700 people who aren't driving their cars. Right. And if you don't like congestion, this is one way to avoid that congestion, especially on those busy weekends. Absolutely. And so, that's a, that's the thing. It's like multi-beneficial. You know, it gets yeah. people safely. You know, I mean, you go out for a couple of drinks. Like when you're on vacation, do you want to say, oh, can only have a drink? You yeah. know, before, no, I mean, because you're used to calling an Uber or a Lyft or something yep. and getting a safe ride home. And that's what a lot of people run into when they come here. That same thing I talked about earlier, where you're used to it when you move. Well, if you're on vacation, yeah, I can't tell you the number of people who, like, if you're a bartender up here, you must hear it multiple times a night of, where do I get an Uber? <laughs> and then you laugh at them and then you realize they're serious and mm-hmm. you're like, right. sorry, there's, and there, there's no option home. Right. So there is that element of it. There is creating, you know, less parking challenges, mm-hmm. you know, if people aren't driving to all of these events and uh, less congestion, as you were, you know, pointing out. I mean, there's just so many benefits. And, you know, I happen to live on a, a road in Dora County that is very well traveled and it, it it's very well traveled, you know, and it would be wonderful to turn some of that into, you know, public transportation of a kind like what Sister Bay is doing. Mm-hmm. It's the seed. Sophie Parr said that. Yeah. It is the seed. And it the seed has been planted. And the great thing about what Louise's approach to it is, and like you said, I'm, I've been a member of this coalition, but Louise is the, the bulldog who does yeah. the work. And when we first started meeting, it was like, all right, we got to try something. People have talked about this and generally say, oh, it's impossible. And eventually a few of us got together and said, all right, let's just find out. Maybe it is impossible, but let's actually do the work and figure out if it is. Mm -hmm. And so Louise has gone about getting all these numbers from different places and what they've done in in Bar Harbor, Maine and Aspen, Colorado, and all these other destinations that have routes like this. Like there's, this works in other places and it's not, Door County being isolated is an issue, but most vacation destinations are somewhat isolated. They you know, are more either, common than you're not. In, you're in a mountain town or you're on an island yeah. or you're on a coastal peninsula or something. Like we're not unique in that sense. Other places have figured this out. I just came back from Clearwater, Florida. They have a jolly trolley, they call it, and it bounces around this island and connects these different areas. They have far more people into a far smaller place. So they have an even bigger parking and traffic crunch than we do by far. And I talked to some people down there and they said I said, dude, does that trolley get used? Like, oh, yeah, yeah. I'm like, who who primarily uses it? A lot of vacationers? They said, actually, it's 
a lot of employees that they can't park where they work because there just isn't parking or their employer doesn't let them use up what limited parking they have. So that's how they, a lot of people get to work down there. Mm-hmm. And they have the same complaints, the same issues, they, the same anti-development urge or, hey, my, why can't the government take care of this? Or why can't my city council stop this? But we're sort of behind the ball on a lot of these things in terms of like actually trying different ways to solve those problems. So yeah. these and things that seem very pie in the sky maybe aren't that pie in the sky. And they aren't. And we do have some suggestions in, in the issue too about other communities that are doing it so that, you know, people aren't alone. We all like to think of ourselves as unique mm-hmm. and unique communities and in many ways we are, but in uh, the things that, that matter across this country, I think the challenges and the solutions are pretty much the same. Yeah. So. Well, that's an excellent point to end it on. Yes. Uh, we've gone for 45 minutes, right? I wow. Thought, we I thought, thought we were going to do like 10 minutes and be done with this. But <laughs> we both did. We sat down. We're like, all right, how are we going to do this? <laughs> it's, a, it's a Friday at like four. We're like, no, no, we're going to make this a short one. But sorry, listeners, we went long. Yes. Well, right. hopefully you're not sorry. And hopefully you stuck with us through this whole episode. And you stick with us again next week when we're back with the Door County Pulse podcast. Deb, thanks for joining me. All right. Thanks, Miles. Thank you so much for listening to the Door County Pulse podcast. If you want to support us at The Pulse, check out doorcountypulse.com slash shop, where you can get a weekly Pulse subscription, purchase some incredible Door County artwork from Pulse artist Ryan Miller, and much more. We hope you've enjoyed the Door County Pulse podcast, and we will see you next time.